Snake Eyes is an actual play semi-improvised podcast that utilises an adapted version of the Freeform Universal role-playing system at its base. Our game master, Nathan Quadrio, describes scenes, settings and characters for our player, Miriam Feats, who reacts as an active part of the story. Most of what you hear in this podcast is collaboratively improvised by our two performers. At moments of great risk and tension, Miriam will be asked to roll a standard six-sided die to determine the outcome of the situation. On a one to three, something goes wrong, adding more complications to the story. On a four to six, luck swings her way and the story moves on unimpeded. Now, prepare to enter a world of murder, adultery, crime, and lies in Snake Eyes. What do you want to do? Where are you hiding? What's around? A bunch of alleyways, businesses that are starting to close. It's becoming quiet as the day drags on. Maybe if I just duck into an alley and find maybe if there's some trash cans or just something that I can sort of like sit behind but still keep an eye on the street for when Molly's car sort of gets here for me. So you're going to wait in the alleyway for a little while as blood pours from your shoulder and you kind of feel as if you're passing in and out of consciousness and you see a car pull up, an old battered little car, and you see through the window your friend Molly Cartwright. I think I slowly get up, just because I don't want to faint right now, and make my way over to the car. As you stumble over, she opens the car door and allows you to fall in. Gee, Biddy, what's happened here? Um, something bad. I think I got in over my head with this one. Not surprising. And she pulls away. So where are we going? Um, I don't think it's safe to go back to my office right now. We can head to mine for a while. I would really appreciate that, Molly. Thanks. So, since you're abusing my hospitality, what happened? I was chasing down a lead. A, um, unsavory fellow who seems to be doing some business with Max Herringbone. I followed him to a bar, and I think I've made an enemy here. Your friends don't shoot you in the shoulder. I don't think he was aiming for my shoulder. Fair enough. And you continue to drive, making occasional awkward conversation, and as you drive, the pain becomes too much. Yeah. And you just slip away into unconsciousness. And you wake up later in the evening in what you can only imagine is Molly's apartment. You haven't been to this apartment. It's not where she used to live. Yeah. It's a small, pokey, one-bedroom studio apartment. You can see, having not spent much time with her recently, little touches of hers that you recognise. Some scented candles, some laced oilies that remind you of her. And you see that your arm has been bandaged and covered and the pain is present, but less so. Around the corner is a small kitchenette where you can hear something being made. I'll get up and head in. You get up slowly. Everything seems to be a little bit slower now that you've been shot. And you head around the corner to see Molly stirring something in a pot. So you're back with us. Yeah, um, thank you. I I really don't know what I would have done if you hadn't answered that phone. Well, Biddy, even if you have trouble with your friends, when they call you and say they've been shot and are bleeding everywhere, I, you still come and pick them up. Thanks. I, um, I really do appreciate it. I'm not trying to cause you any trouble, Molly. I... I know you, you have a life and you've made a name for yourself and I don't, I don't want to harm that. She just keeps staring. 
Can I help with anything? You just need to rest. Yeah, okay. I think Biddy just awkwardly maybe goes and sits down. <laughs> okay. Um, after a short while, yeah. she comes out with some hot soup. So what's the end point here, Biddy? Is this it? I need to solve this case. I need to figure out what Max and Theo are up to. Something's not right here, Molly. I don't I don't know what it is, but... And you're willing to give up your life for it? This is what I do. This this is how I feel like I make a difference. That's worth a little risk, in my opinion. Surely getting shot at is more than a little risk. I'm not dead yet. Yet being the operative word. Look, Molly, you don't have to agree with what I do. I know you you left a lot of this behind years ago. But people need help, and I can do that. I couldn't help Sally, but I can help these people. Make her death mean something, I guess. Molly just sits there, yeah, quietly. Letting the weight of what you've said kind of sit with her for a little bit. I guess we all have different ways of dealing with the things that have come through with us. You're welcome to stay here, but I'll be back at work tomorrow. Of course, I um, I wouldn't want to impose. She sits with you for a moment or two more, not entirely sure whether to open up a conversation or not. And then she stands and walks away with her little bowl of soup. Yeah, I think Biddy just finishes her dinner and and goes to bed. I don't think she wants to push Molly any further than she has today. Sleep comes easily, but continues in fits. Yeah. Every time you roll back onto that shoulder in your sleep, you kind of don't jolt awake, but in a haze, come back. Yeah. At some point in the morning, you remember hearing Molly tell you that she's leaving. Yeah. But when you awake, it's about 11am and the apartment is empty. Biddy spend some time like tidying up, doing any dishes that are on the, th- just, just like little things to try and make up for her imposition or what she sees as an imposition. She probably spends an hour or so just trying to make the apartment better than how she found it and then heads out. So I think the first place that Biddy goes is probably back home just for a change of clothes to make herself presentable again. She might even grab like a different hat, maybe some glasses, just something to slightly alter a little bit the way she looks out of the corner of your eye, just in case she runs into someone that she doesn't want to. And then she's going to make her way up to the Herringbones Lodge. So you take a taxi up there? Yep. And drive right up the coast, thinking about what's happening as you go along, going over it in your head, all the different steps. This weird interaction with Max Theo and this mysterious third man, some kind of handover. These invoices you found for our Oscar. And as you kind of settle these thoughts in your mind, you arrive at 112 Suntry Road, which is the Twin Pines Lodge. It's a beautiful little log cabin. Sits not entirely on a cliff, but on a raise looking out over the ocean. According to Eleanor, they they haven't been to this lodge in a while. Yeah, it was mostly they bought it for the kids and they just haven't found the time to sell it on. What Biddy wants to do is scope out the lodge and see if sort of evidence around the outside of the lodge matches up with that story. Like, are the windows still dusty? Does the lodge look like it's been in use or does it really look like it has been 
sort of on its own for that time. You move around the lodge and with your keen eye, straight away things are not as they seem. To the side, there are tire tracks where somebody would have parked their car next to the lodge. They aren't incredibly fresh, but it would have been sometime within the past week. You look around, the windows are still dusty. It looks like somebody hasn't been living here or using the space, but there is around the back a little bit of water leaking from a pipe somewhere, and there are some footprints there that match a shoe that you found earlier worn by Max Herringbone. Biddy has learned her lesson about rash decisions. So she's also gonna take her time to establish that no one is using the lodge right at this moment. Like she's not gonna walk in and interrupt someone or something that she shouldn't be. <laughs> and then if the coast is clear, she'll head inside. You look around, there appear to be no other cars parked around here. It's a little bit of a secluded place. Perhaps they own a large plot of land here, as well as the lodge that it's on. You do see maybe 300 metres down the road, just there, another house, but it seems to be quite secluded and nobody seems to be here at the moment. You've been spending maybe 10, 15 minutes moving about the house quietly, looking at these footprints and looking at everything else that you can find. I haven't heard anything from inside the house, so it seems to be pretty safe. Do the footprints look like they used the front or the back door? It's difficult to determine because it's such a small section of mud where this is yeah. leaking from. Neither door seems to be more or less used. Okay. I might head in through the back door okay. anyway, just because I'm assuming that's the door that's not visible to the street. Yeah. Just in case anyone does drive past, I want it to look as undisturbed and normal as possible. You mess around with the keys for a little bit and find the key to the back door and head inside. It's quite dark. You seem to have entered into something that might be a laundry or a corridor at the back to lead you through. All right, I'll head through. You walk through, you find a light switch. Do you want to turn on the lights? Not yet. And it's a little difficult to see, but you move through the rooms and there doesn't seem to be very much going on. Some of the beds are still made, but you're seeing that layer of dust where nothing has been disturbed in a little while. And then you come into the main bedroom, which comes just off the front room. And this is a little bit of a different story. There is still dust, as in nobody slept here or used it, but there are two boxes, cardboard boxes filled with papers and a briefcase. All right, I'll start with the cardboard boxes. Um, and I just want to establish what they're holding. I don't necessarily need to go through all the papers, but just to figure out like what's in them and what kind of paper trail it may be revealing to me. You look through the boxes just very briefly on the top few pages of each one and you recognize the paper immediately. It's the same paper that was used for the R Oscar yeah. invoices and you go through, it's a track record of all of this back and forth money. Looking through, it seems that they are loans. Starting small, they appear to go from the top being the oldest, going backwards. Starting with 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, slowly growing. How old is the oldest document that I can find? Is there a date on there? It's about two years old. Yeah. Do I have any way to estimate around how much money exactly has been loaned to Max? Are you happy to lift the papers out of the box? Do I think that I could put them back in the way that I found them? Yes. Ish. Yes, then I'm happy okay. to do that. 
you lift the papers out of the box and you have a quick flick through. Obviously, they're all laid out the same way because they are financial documents and you have a flick through. Varying amounts could be anywhere from four to five million dollars. Okay. All right, Betty puts them back as carefully as she can and then she's going to look at this briefcase. It seems like a standard briefcase. Yep. And it is locked. And nothing really else in this room has been disturbed. You have a bit of a look around. There's a walk-in robe with some doors that may have been moved. I'll check in the wardrobe just in case. Um, I think if Biddy can use a key to do this, she will. Odds are it's probably on max. But she'll check the robe anyway if she thinks that potentially some movement might have happened in there. You move into the walk-in robe. Something you noticed in the other rooms was that everything, almost like a hotel, was ready with all of the coat hangers on one side. The towels were set out at the end of the bed so that if they turned up, everything was ready. That's not true in this room. It looks like that maybe something has been hung here. And you can see the way that the dust has been moved around it, that this has been used. Maybe not recently, but more recently than the rest of the house. Yes. She'll do a quick scope of the wardrobe like, look around on the floor and in the corners just in case anything has been dropped. I don't think she's necessarily looking for the key, but in case something fell out of a pocket when someone was in a rush or just something along those lines, she'll do a quick scan for clues and then go back to this briefcase. You search around the floor (laughs) and you don't find anything of consequence. Maybe a loose bobby pin. Look, you know what? She'll take the bobby pin. I guess Biddy will attempt to pick the lock on this briefcase and see if she can find what's inside. Okay, is this something that Biddy is particularly skilled with, do you think? I don't think it's one of her particular skills. I think maybe she's had to do it once or twice before, but it would have been like on a door with Mm. like one of the heavier locks and not something as small or finicky as a briefcase. I think this is... Like, she's done it before, but she's not feeling amazingly confident about doing this. Then let's make a roll. Yeah. Four. Okay. Which is a yes, but. Yes, but. You mess around with the lock and you're spending about 30 minutes or so doing so. Yeah. You're going and you think you get it and then you don't, you think you get it and you're like, I just need to jostle it. Like if I, if I, you know, like nudge it or shake it or move some of the mechanism inside and you become so absorbed in the task that you don't realize the time that's going on. And you do manage to unlock the briefcase, but you're not entirely sure if the way that you were doing it and how rough you were being, the lock is going to be intact when you attempt to fix it again or close it. Well, we're here now, so Biddy's just going to open it and look at what's inside. You open up the briefcase and it is full of cash and it looks to be about maybe $250,000. All right. Is there a... There isn't a corresponding invoice from uh, Oscar that matches what this money would be? Not that you can see, no. Okay. You would need to spend more time looking through the paperwork and maybe cross-referencing. I think there's probably more than Biddy feels comfortable spending time doing, especially because it does seem like someone will be coming back for this money at some point, and she probably doesn't want to be here when that particular event happens, so she will just close up and see how closely she can get this briefcase to look like it's still intact. Biddy closes the briefcase and there are two latches. It's one lock in the centre that unlocks both latches. You can get one clicked back in, 
the other one will not click back in and just remains standing upright. Okay. I think Biddy's just going to leave it. I don't think there's any way she can really fix it and anything she does do to make it look like it's fixed is only going to fool someone for five seconds until they unlock the briefcase and realise that it's broken. So I think she's just going to put it back where she found it and hope that maybe whoever picks it up just doesn't think. <laughs> what now? Was there a a name on the briefcase or any initialing or was it just blank? It was a blank briefcase. Okay. Then I think now Biddy resets everything to how she found it. And I think she heads outside to scope out the muddy footprints and the tire tracks and just see if there's any hints there. Because I don't think she really spent much time with that. But she's not super optimistic that that'll lead Mm. her anywhere. You go outside and look at the footprint. It appears to match very closely to the shoe that you found. The size, the style, the car, they're definitely car tracks. Looking at tracks specifically on tyre trade is not your area of expertise, I would imagine. They are, as I said, reasonably fresh. Is there anything else that you're looking to discern from these or? Just that it was as simple as he drove up, he got out the car, he went inside and put something down or whatever he did and then came out and drove away or whether there was any other business that he did around the house. It's difficult to determine whether or not there was any other business because it's so close to the coast. The wetness was remained, but any wind has blown away any other footprints or anything else that would have been marking any movement. Yeah. So as far as you're aware, that is what happened. Whoever did it just came and dropped. Yeah. Something else could have happened, but that's not, you're not able to discern that. I think Biddy will have a look around the yard and just the surrounding area to see if she can find anything, but also in case she decides to come back and stake out the lodge to see if there's any decent hiding places. You move about. The grounds are pretty sparse. There are a few trees around. There is an old playground that looks like it hasn't been used for a while that would have been put in when the children were younger, you assume. You do find an area where the trees are a little bit more dense, and so you can hide behind them in the event that you wanted to watch the house. It is quite a distance away. Yeah. You would be able to see what was happening at the house, but if something crazy were to go down, you wouldn't be able to, like, sprint down to stop somebody from getting shot or... To interrupt a deal or whatever. Yeah. Biddy is going to head back into town. Thanks for listening in to this week's episode of Snake Eyes. Listen in next week to follow the next part in the adventures of Biddy Jones, Private Investigator. Let us know what you think by leaving a review on your podcasting app of choice, and we'll see you on the flip side.